As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and Globe and Mail hockey writer James Myrtle. On my own, here we go. All right, James, uh, it's been a couple weeks since the big Dion Phaneuf swap. Uh, what's your word to describe your surprise at them not having to take any salary back? Yeah, I think that that was the number one story coming out of that trade, other than obviously he was going to Ottawa to a division rival, which we hadn't really heard anyone talk about. And I think they, they, they caught a break in that Ottawa was desperate. They needed a top-four defenseman, and they were on Dion Phaneuf's trade list of teams he was willing to go to and I'm assuming they, he, they were on his list because it's just it's close to Toronto, it's close to PEI, it's close to where, where Dion Phaneuf, you know, likes living um, but you look at some of the other names that were on his trade list and like there was no, like, you know, Chicago and LA and there was a bunch of teams that it would have been very difficult to trade him to a bunch of contending teams and it, 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 the, the biggest benefit to the Leafs is they just they're completely free of that deal once the contracts run out on Mahalik and Cowan and uh and Colin Greening. And that was what they needed to accomplish with trading Dion Phaneuf and, and I'm surprised they were able to do it. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's part of it. That's why it's so surprising that they didn't have to take beyond those contracts which are essentially expiring after next year. I, n- I never thought that that would be possible, but uh I've learned, you know, over the past year to not rule anything out. But 
I mean, to get out of that contract without having to pay anything down the line, like you look at the Kessel contract and you look at the freedom that this gives them, could they have done better? Like, are we are we overrating, you know, how well they did? I mean, I guess it depends what, what Scott Harrington and, and, and Kasperi Kapanen turn into. I mean, you know, if Kapanen turns into a good NHL player, maybe the, you'll say at some point, well, it's worth retaining some salary to, to get that asset back. But I think they could have done better. And I think Brandon Shanahan actually thinks they probably could have done better. And that's prob- that's why they went and brought Lou Lamorello in. And based on the three trades we have to look at that Lamorello's made, I have to say that he's earning that third-round pick back that, that they had to give up in order to bring him over from New Jersey. And so far, it looks like the right move. And the fear in bringing Lamorello in is that he was going to want to control everything and do everything and not delegate and not let other people do things. But, you know, maybe he realized that, that Mark Hunter is a, a better scout than he is, and he's willing to let Mark Hunter do that. Maybe he realizes that Kyle Dubas is better at uh, running the AHL team and doing the analytics side of things than he is. And He's willing to do what he's good at, and and what Lam- Lou Lamorell is good at is uh, knowing how the NHL works, um, knowing the other GMs and how they they function, and and winning trades. You know, you look at some of the trades he made in his tenure in New Jersey. I was looking at a list the other day of the top five deals he made in with the Devils, and it's a pretty impressive list. You know, you think of Tom Curvers for the I think it was the second or the third overall pick that turned into Scott Niedermeyer. Um, obviously the Corey Schneider trade, there, there's a lot of examples, and uh, if he can do that for the Leafs, it's going to be obviously a huge benefit. See, I think it's way too early to make that investment. <coughs> You're fair to, to say it based on the trades that they made, like, but but I, I say this respectfully, These are this is the easy part. Like, this is the easy part in trading, yeah. you know, expiring contracts or picks. I mean, the fact that they got, obviously, a couple second-round picks for, you know, Roman Polak and Nick Spalling, good on them, you know, but, but the hard part is actually turning these picks into players and then building a team under a cap and we don't know based on what Lou Lamorello did in Jersey whether they can actually do that you know we didn't see him you know in terms of the cap era ever really build you know aside from that one cup final team which got there with some remarkable luck we've never seen him do this so don't you think we need to sort that part out before we can say you know whether this is actually going to be a success with him as the GM? Well, I think it's a success if they compartmentalize him and give him this this one role that he's really good at that he does. And then, you know, I kind of think there's going to be oversight here from from Shanahan. And you know, if Lamorello wants to do something and goes to Shanahan and says, "I think we should, I think we should trade Kadri for this box of magic jelly beans or you know whatever," and he goes to Shanahan and says, "We, I think we really should make this trade." Shanahan goes to Dubas and the analytics team or or Pridham or whoever else he he talks to and says, "What do you think about this?" magic box of jelly beans, do you think that we should trade Kadri for it? And they'll say, hell no. Then I don't think that trade's going to get made. I mean, that's... But that is the I question, don't know. Right? That is the question like, that we were asking at the time that Lamorella was hired. How is that going to work? Like, who is going to make that final yeah. decision? We assume it's Shanahan, but, you know, people have been deferential to Lou Lamorello in the past. Yeah, we'll see. He's a strong personality. He's a strong person. You know, I like Lou Lamarillo. I like dealing with him. He doesn't say anything that's very, very interesting to us. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And the thing I wonder, too, he got a three-year deal. He's 73 years old, 74 in October. Uh, you know, is, He's sticking uh, around, man. He is sticking I, I kind of think so, too. But I, I wonder if he'll... You know, if the team starts to get better, and is he going to say, oh, you know, I want to still be the GM when he's 76 years old, 77 years old? And I'm leaning towards, yes, I'm leaning towards he's going to want to stick around, and that might cost them 
guys like Hunter and, and Dubas if, if, you know, if they have opportunities to move up elsewhere. Okay, well, uh, this gets me to my next point. Our buddy at uh, Sportsnet, Chris Johnson, wrote a piece about their strategy, you know, at the deadline in terms of acquiring picks and acquiring prospects, and he said it was smart and savvy. I can't figure out a reason why it wouldn't be. If you were trying to argue against his point, you would say what? No, this is what they're supposed to. This is what they should be doing. There's, I mean, like, the like, roster. I guess the point is, there's no real argument against it, is there? No, not with what the, the team that they had and the team that they have now. It has no chance. So you just, I mean, the, the pieces they're trading, like Fanuf and Bolak and whatever, they have no use for any of these players at all. So if you're getting something valuable, they're getting both cap space and and the picks or prospects. So yeah, no, it's tough to argue with. I mean, this is. With the way that the CBA is set up and the cap is set up, this is how you have to rebuild. Hmm. Okay, well, this just comes to my mind as you say that. Who is more important to their building process, Mark Hunter or Mike Babcock? Uh, well, I, I think if, if Hunter fails, the whole thing fails. I mean, they have to find, they have to find players. If Babcock fails three or four years in, you can replace him with someone else. If Hunter fails, you're starting over a lot. You know, if Babcock fails, you can just bring in Sheldon Keefe or whatever coach you think is great, and, and you can get things back on the rails within six months or whatever. If Mark Hunter fails, you're, you're in big big trouble because, you know, every asset in the organization is, is or most of them are going to come through him. So. Right. I don't know what kind of impact he has on the on the pro scouting side. I don't know if he's just focusing on amateur. That's kind of my impression. But even still, I mean, they have to succeed on the amateur side. Well, and that's why they're acquiring all these picks, as we know. Like, they're trying to give themselves as many cracks at it as they can. And, you know, if, I don't know, three of every ten turn out, suddenly you've got some players. So this brings me to a, a game I want to play. And, you know, I don't really like shenanigans, but... If we're looking at, you know, they're, they're depth Is that the name of the game? Shenanigans, let's call it that. Um, but you look at their depth chart, and I've been trying to piece together what their roster might look like next year. So here's what I want you to do, and I'll do the same. I'm going to give you a player, and you tell me the probability, you know, just name a percentage, that this player is back next year. Is that cool? Okay. Okay, so let's start with James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, I don't know, 98%. Wow. Really that high, eh? I think they're going to keep them, yeah. Okay. I'll say 80. I think it's it's likely. Uh, but I could see, who knows? Like, I could see something just based on the scenario, based on his age. I could see it happening. But I think he's back. I think, you know, you saw what happened to them offensively when he left. And he looked like a different player under Mike Babcock. So I'm sure they want to move that path forward. They don't have a lot of guys like him. Obviously, he was great he well. the, the the 25 games before he was hurt. He, he looked excellent. So I think you got to bring him back and see what he is. Okay, this is a good one. These, all of these are actually really interesting. Bozak. 50%. Yeah, I was going to say the same. I could see them bringing him back. Like, uh, with two more after this at 4-2. The thing is, you have to have players, and you have to have some players yeah. to play, right? The injury hurt with him because I don't know if they can trade him before the deadline with the injury. And but he did was off to a good start, and he'll be easier to trade when there's less term on his deal. So you know I don't see a lot of harm in bringing him back. It's not like they're super deep at center. So no, and it's it's not like 
let's be honest, the, the cap doesn't really matter anymore. It doesn't really, you know, for the next couple no. years, it doesn't matter if he's 4-2 on their books or he's 6-2. They're not a good Other than you want to use that cap space in, in right. the best way possible to take back bad contracts or, or do whatever. I mean, you want to, you don't want to just be wasting it. But yeah, I can certainly see how they, they might bring him back. Okay, 50%. I'm going to say uh, 70, maybe 60 I think, I honestly think they like him, but now there's starting to be more legitimate talk that potentially they could move him. So I'm going to put it at about eighty percent. Eighty, eh? Well, do, do you believe? Do you buy all the? Like we saw it with with Dion Phaneuf. You know, there's rhetoric from Mike Babcock. I think a lot of it is probably true. I'm sure he believes most of it, but I don't think he. I don't think it's a surprise that he went out of his way to talk about Dion Phaneuf often and he's done the same with Kadri. Do you think it's different in this case? You know, where he's and, and Polak and right. Spalling and yeah. Yeah. The Polak stuff was getting it was like every two days we were on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and Polak was playing twenty three minutes a game and all kinds of so I mean the, good for them. I mean if they want to play that 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 long con and and spend all year telling us goofy stuff about the players and it, to their benefit, yeah, but, and but here's what's different in the case of Kadri. Like there is a case to be made that obviously the last few weeks they don't really have a very good team, so his numbers have suffered. But there was a case to be made when he was talking about Kadri that he was playing well, that he was deserving right. a lot of the praise. Do you buy it, or do you think he was trying to inflate, you know, his value? I I think what. Babcock was saying lines up with what I was seeing and what Kadri was doing, so it's harder to make the case that he's just making everything up. But the reason I could see them potentially moving Kadri is he's one of the pieces they have that has value, and if they want to bring back another good player, perhaps maybe a little bit younger, perhaps without the baggage of whatever baggage Kadri's accumulated playing in Toronto, whatever, perhaps they want someone at a different position. I mean, maybe there's the chance of the the one that seems to be getting talked about a little bit, the idea, and I don't want to call this putting, I I, I don't have any sources saying that this is going to happen, but the idea of Kadri for for Shattenkirk in, in St. Louis and you know, if you can get an elite defenseman, uh, that, that that's obviously the position that the Leafs need, you know, then maybe you think about moving Kadri. So, I, I think that, it'll put it this way, I don't think that the Leafs management has emotional ties to anybody on the team. You know, and if they feel like they can get a better player for anybody, that even Morgan Riley, then right. they'll they'll make the trade. They're just not tied to any of these guys. But I guess, like, looking down the line, I, I'm reluctant to do it, but obviously you have to find out what's going to happen at the draft. You have to find out what pick they're going to get. Like, if they get the number one overall pick and they get a center... That might change the conversation because suddenly, right. you know, where does Kadri fit in that box long term? So, right. If you think Nealander's a center as well, and then you've I got, yeah. I don't think Marner's a center. I think that's I don't, right. I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. Uh, next on our list, your buddy Jake Gardner. Mm, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. He's probably about ninety percent. I would say. I don't think they're trading all these guys. They can't trade turn over the whole roster. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of these guys are unlikely to move just because they're going to bring some some guys back, right? So, I mean, I think there's a chance they move Gardner, but for what? And for the salary he's at and for what he does, he's the perfect, you know, number three, number four guy. You know, so I, I like the way that Gardner's played this year. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I think that there's more there. I like it when he, he goes to the net hard and, 
he creates more offensive opportunities, which he's, I, I don't know what his point totals are the last 15, 20 games, but it seems like those have really come along. So, anyway. Let me pull it up. Hang on one second. Let's see. It seems like he's been more involved in, in the offense, even though he, he doesn't play a ton on the power play. 20 points in 54 games. And right. Recording this on a Tuesday. So tonight, actually, Saturday night was his 300th game. And what did Randy Carlisle always say about defensemen? 300 games, right? That's when you know what they are. <laughs> they are. So maybe we're getting, I don't know, yeah. season. This is what he is, which is... I think we know what he is, and like, I, like I'm saying, I think he's... Yeah, I, I like what Jake Gardner is, but again, if you can get a PC you like better, then then yeah, you make the trade. But you know, I think if we have to talk about who's coming back, I think it's going to be JVR, Riley, Gardner. Hey, um, some of my questions. Okay, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> okay. Shenanigans. This is a good one, Jonathan Bernier. I would say really low. I don't think they want to bring him back. I say twenty-five percent. We were talking about this, you and I, in the press box one night. In Logically, it makes the most sense to bring him back, right? And just have, like, Garrett Sparks as the other goalie. But given how things have gone with him, with Mike Babcock, it's really hard to envision how you can bring him back. You know what I mean? I don't think he wants to come back. I don't think the team wants him to come back. I think that there is an emotional or personality or something problem going on there. I think it's been... Uh, a brutal, brutal year for him personally, and I just, I just don't, and I don't think Babcock believes in him. I don't think he does. So, if he comes back, it's just because they can't find a way to get rid of him. And the tough thing is, do you want to use one of your retained salary slots to get rid of Bernier? Because I think if they retained a little bit of salary, then I could see a team wanting him at three million, maybe. And but there's not a lot of teams that need a goalie. See, and he's had a brutal year, and he makes $4 million. But the, the logical thing, and, and this was a conversation we had about whether they should sign you know, James Reimer. The logical thing is not to sign Reimer to keep Bernier for one more year and you know, move forward after that. You know I mean? Yeah, and I think that, yeah, I think that could happen, but the, there are, like you said, it's very problematic with Bernier with the way that everything is right now. So it's very, it feels uncomfortable. So That's the way it's going to happen next on the list. Uh, well, actually, for Bernier, I'll say 25%. That's what I said. James Reimer. <laughs> I could see a situation where he's traded and then he does come back. And I, I wonder with Reimer if we're not going to know until July 1 what happens. I mean, he might look around at what else is there and then not be able to get something and come back here. I could see that happening. So for him to be back with the Leafs next year, I'll say... Uh, I say like forty, fifty percent. I was gonna say forty. There's, yeah. there's just not many that many openings. Like I wouldn't go, and we had this conversation I think a little while back. I don't go more than two years. That's like, if, and if not, I see see you later. Yeah, and I think it's possible. Maybe they could get it. I I think they could get him for three years. I think that he he would. I think he would do that. But I don't know if the Leafs would do that or not. So I'm sure I would either. Okay, last on the list. Leo Komarov. I don't. It depends. I think it depends how much pull Mike Babcock has. Because I think if it was up to Mike Babcock, it would be a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent. Because I think he likes he likes Leo Komarov. But I, I think the best way to move Komarov would probably be as a guy that goes on a trade deadline and some playoff team really really wants to add what he brings. So you know maybe maybe that's when they ultimately trade him. I think he's going to be back. I'll, I'll say you know eighty percent. 
You keep taking my answers. I say 80%. I think if the right deal comes along, they should do it 1,000%. Like, yeah. Like if they get a, like if they get a Polak-like return, 100% yeah. do it. Be done with it. Yeah. Like he's got two more years at 295, which is fine. Well, he's certainly proved to be worthy worthy of the contract, which we weren't sure of at the beginning. Yeah. Have to give Dave Ramos credit for that because there were not a lot of things that you could look back on and say that was great. That was a pretty good move in hindsight, but most of the moves he made, you look back and it's like, oh man, like they weren't good. I think we had this conversation at the beginning of the year, maybe about what did Dave Nonis do that turned out, and I think the only one I said was maybe Bernier, and then that. <laughs> That has gone up in flames this year, so not a lot. The Kadri Bridge was okay. The let's see, I'm looking at the roster right now. There were a lot of bad contracts. There were a lot of bad. No, I guess I'm thinking of like yeah, yeah. Anyway, Rove that one that one summer when it was you know Roby Duh, Gleason. Gunnarsson for Polak. Well, that was a different year. But, man, there there were just a lot of weird things that happened there. I, I'm really tempted to keep asking Lula Morello about Robida. <laughs> like, what's going on? You know what? There's something There's something really interesting there, Jonas, in that he's not on long-term injured reserve. That That is the, the big red flag. I'm pretty sure he's not on it. And that would give them more cap space. So the fact that he's not on that, I just wonder if they think they can't sneak. Well, I was told... Um, I asked the league about it, and the kind of answer I got back is LTI is scrutinized more than I. Yeah, yeah. Because then right. you're getting a real tangible benefit. Like how often is a guy out the entire year and you don't put him on long-term injury reserve? And the Leafs were capped out before they moved out Spalling and Polak. And real circumstances of how he got hurt, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. We were there both there in Halifax, and he was playing and everything, and yeah, so. I I thought about writing about it, but it's just with the trade deadline and everything. I don't know. It's but it does sound like he's not on LTIR, so that's that's a big big that's a that's a big red flag that something's going on. So I just I don't know. Like next year, I don't know. I, I guess they just do the same thing again next year. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess they just do the same thing. Yeah, he still has the best craziest thing is he still has equipment in his stall. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I thought I saw cobwebs on it the other day. It's like a museum exhibit. Anyway, <laughs> we're not allowed to take a picture of it. Otherwise, I would have. Yeah. All right. Well, this is just a short little podcast. We're just trying to test out our new system. So, uh, thanks for this, James. We're back, and hopefully this worked. If you hear this, then it worked. If you don't hear it, then no one heard it, and Jonas broke something. So. Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.